0: Alright, welcome everybody, this is Derek Bonner, joined by Mike O'Connor of The Athletic Philadelphia. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good, man. Um, About three hours ago, two, three hours ago, I thought this was going to be a very somber podcast, but uh, Jimmy Butler changed all that.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's really changed now that the Sixers pulled out a last minute win over the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, By and large, you watched that game, I don't think you felt very good about how your team was performing, but it is better to at least play poorly and win and play poorly and lose so that we, they do have that going for them for sure.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's kind of, it's kind of like the same thing with the Cavs game. Like we can point to the crazy shot making they had all we want, but at the end of the day, the Sixers should be beating those teams by double digits. And if you take away the crazy shot making, it's still a close game that could go either way. So yeah, definitely, definitely still some concern lingering
0: for sure. Um, A couple of real quick housekeeping notes. Um, Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the places you would find a podcast. Leave a rating or review if you can, especially on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out quite a bit, preferably a good rating. Um, If it is a bad review, you can send that directly to Mike O'Connor, m.oconnor at theathletic.com. Thank you. He will read each and every one of them. I promise you that. (laughs) I actually don't know if he will, but I'll I'll, I'll throw that out there. Um, Check out the CLNS Media app. Uh, ourselves, Be Well Breakdown, Real gem Radio, Sam Vecini's the Game Theory Podcast, a whole bunch more. Good app, good podcast. I l- l- like those guys over there quite a bit. I like the colleagues we have there as well. And I guess I should probably throw this out there as well. Check out theathletic.com where you can find our work. Over at the slash Philly. Alright, real quick before we get into the Mark L. Fultz stuff, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Action Heat, a Philadelphia based company with an amazing product, which we're thrilled to add as a sponsor. Action Heat makes the world's best battery heated clothing. Heat on demand at the touch of a button. Control your environment with Action Heat. Action Heat clothing is engineered to safely and efficiently deliver heat via heating panels similar to a heated car seat. They can reach temperatures of up to 135 degrees Fahrenheit and are powered by rechargeable 5 volt lithium ion batteries that can last up to 12 hours on each charge. Action Heat batteries can even be used to recharge your phone or other gadgets while you're wearing them. These gifts are perfect for any friend or family on your holiday shopping list, especially for anyone who works outdoors, skiers or snowboarders, or anyone who loves the outdoors but hates being cold. Action Heat clothing provides tasty warmth and comfort for your whole body, including heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. You can stay warm and cozy from head to toe with Action Heat. Action Heat is available in men's and women's and has great new styles and models just released for the winter season. Make winter activities more enjoyable with a blast of warmth. Action Heat is a perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm, even in the most frigid winter weather. Action Heat provides heated products that fit everyone's budget, starting at just $39.99. I've recently purchased a set of wool heated socks, which includes two lithium polymer power packs, which can deliver heat for up to eight hours, which I can't wait to try out during the upcoming snowboarding season. Join in on the fun. We've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com Sixers to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com Sixers, or use coupon code Sixers at checkout to save 20%. Stay toasty and warm while you enjoy your outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. So I guess we probably have to start this one off with Markel Fultz, huh?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right. So in a report on The Athletic, um, written by Sam Amick, Jared Weiss, contributions from myself, Sham Sharania, um, David Aldridge, whole, whole crew over there. And it really was a team effort. But the two main takeaways, first, that he is getting Markel Foltz that. So I guess even backing up before then, Tuesday, um, the day after he was benched in the second half, really at the end of the first half, he was going to go back in a, for a stint at the end of the first half, Brown ended up pulling him, pulling Fultz out, inserting TJ McConnell instead. TJ then played those backup minutes in the second half. The following day, a report came out from David Aldridge, uh, also of The Athletic, also contributed to that report that we mentioned. But an initial report came out that Fultz would get a... Uh, he would not participate in team practices or games until he was able to see a specialist the following Monday uh, to get um, his shoulder looked at. So we then followed up with a report on Wednesday that not only was he getting his shoulder looked at, but that he was going to get his right wrist, his shooting wrist looked at as well. And that also included a a note that he... People around Fultz had said that Fultz would prefer a start with a new team. And... So I guess we'll start off with those two main takeaways. There's also a whole lot more background information, including a little bit about the genesis of how some of these shot changes occurred and whether that contributed to the shoulder soreness. And also what led to the disintegration of the Markel Fultz and Drew Hanlon relationship. That's all in there as well. But what's grabbing the the headlines are those two that we just mentioned. So I guess we'll start off with the trade preference. And again, it was very key that it was worded that way. At no point did we ever say that Fultz has requested a trade. We did not report that he has gone to team management and requested a trade. We certainly haven't reported that he demanded a trade. But what was in there that people who have talked to Fultz have said that Fultz has expressed a preference to start fresh. So, you know, I think, you know, okay, so I guess when you write a report like that, I guess what I'll first say is we didn't come into this looking to write a report about Fulch trying to leave. Um, that's not at all what we were doing. You know, we were digging into what has gone into the breakdown in the shooting mechanics specifically at the free throw line and the reversion of those free throws and that form and his complete unwillingness to take a game. I think before he was pulled out, he'd gone what nine games without attempting a three pointer. We were digging into that and in doing so these conversations propped up and I obviously can't tell you, who we talked to, who mentioned Fultz having said this or having expressed this this preference, but it's not like one person; it's not even two people. Like we, this is well sourced. We do not write that lightly. It is not a trade demand, you know. I think I don't want to say it's similar to Furkan uh, Korkmaz, but an article comes out that Furkan, a report comes out that Furkan Korkmaz would prefer a fresh start somewhere where he can get minutes. I don't think this is minutes-based, although it'll be interesting to see how Fultz's minutes develop over time. Like, now that Jimmy Butler's in here, now that the team is clearly on a, a path towards trying to contend this year, at least for a, a run to the the NBA championships, NBA finals, will Brett Brown become a little less... Like, was basically last Monday a sign of things to come? And, and do they become a little less willing to, you know, develop when they're trying to win now, that so minutes could come at play. But this gets a lot more headlines because he's Markel Fultz, because he's been going through what he's been going through, and because, you know, the Sixers have so much invested in him. But I think all I'll say on that is, like I said, not necessarily what we were looking for when we went out to write the story. Not something we wrote lightly. Not something that came from talking to one person. And also not a trade demand. Like, I... Probably the most frequent question I'll be asked is Is this an untenable situation? I don't think it necessarily is. Like, I think there is clearly, I think Markel likes his teammates. I think Markel likes his coaching staff. And I think his teammates like him. Like, I think there's res- common respect in all directions. And I think that's really important. So, since that report came out, you know, there have been Keith Pompey reported that the Markel Fultz is no longer in the Sixers' core. Uh, he's not considered a member of their core going forward, and I think Amico Hoops and I haven't had a chance to look at, you know, what's kind of behind this. Reported that the Sixers had talked to the Cavs about Markel Fultz. Is, 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 did you see this one?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's correct.
0: And like I said, I haven't. I, I pretty much saw the tweet. I haven't had a chance, so it looks like there might be some smoke there. And okay, so I guess let's start off there. Do you think the Sixers should? trade Markel Fultz right now? Should they be shopping him at the moment?
1: Um, Yeah, they should be shopping him for sure, but I think that not much is going to come back. And I, th- I think that what's going to end up happening is you realize like, okay, we could either dump the 2017 number one overall pick for an expiring salary, or we could wait an offseason and hope that he isn't a distraction through the rest of this season or that big of a distraction through the rest of this season and just hope that his value uh, recuperates a little bit, uh, next off season, because, you know, I I just think it's not very wise to punt on that potential uptick in value, especially given that his value is probably at an all time low right now. Like, I don't think you'll get a valuable piece back for him. So why not just wait out, you know, through, like I said, through this off season and hope that you can potentially get to a point where you get a decent player or pick back for him. Um, but again, there's, there is there is a definitely an argument to be made for the fact that he's a huge, enormous distraction right now. Huge. I mean, you can tell. I mean, Brett Brown, the players, they're, they're tired of talking about it. Um, they, they really just, I, I think there's just a vibe around the team that they just want to get back to playing basketball. And they, they just acquired a third all-star. And all we talk about is a backup point guard, maybe the third string point guard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, but I, I just think that given how low his value is and and the fact that there's so much room for it to grow back up a little bit, um, I think the best thing to do is wait through this offseason.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think the question is clearly Brett is sick of being asked about Marco Fultz and specifically about the injury surrounding Marco Fultz. And I think this whole... Thing caught the Sixers by surprise. Like I don't think they were expecting. First of all, it's it's pretty ridiculous for an agent to tell a team that his client isn't playing for a week as they find their own doctor to have this looked at. Like usually you would have a lot more coordination between those two parties. Uh for a team to be essentially blindsided as it was pretty clear that Elton Brand was on on what was it last Tuesday. That doesn't happen much. And if you're looking for points of friction between these two parties, like there's plenty in the public sphere to point to that. And, you know, it was funny when that happened and that announced that report came out and the, the Elton brand and Brett Brown press conference, this came out because this is a story we had been working on for quite some time before then we were not expecting this shoulder visit to pop out out of nowhere. And we had to sit there and be like, okay, well we're working on this other report about the same subject. How do we cover these press conferences? And I guess if you want to read the tea leaves, next time there's a major press conference like that and all we do is put up a transcript about it, it's probably because we have something else cooking on it. Um, that was definitely uh, a curveball that we had to, you know, we it was hard to offer much commentary about that at that time. But, you know, I think if, I think a lot's going to come down to what happens tomorrow, what happens Monday after this visit. You know, is this something where, you know, maybe they find something or they find a a potential theory that could be causing this pain or discomfort and does Markell stick around the team does he kind of go away sort of like last year get some consultations have some rehab and work on his shot kind of behind closed doors like how much of a it's current it's clearly a distraction now specifically in terms of the post game questioning but is that going to be a distraction in 2 weeks is that going to be a distraction a month and 2 months is that going to be a distraction during a playoff run like, I think just because it's a distraction now doesn't mean you have to move on for it, on from him. The question is whether it's always going to be a distraction. I'm not 100% sure. So I'm sort of in, you know, like, there are people throwing out, like, trading him for Kyle Korver. And there is no part of me that would do that. First of all, I don't think Kyle Korver solves this team's problems. And as we're watching this team get shredded by perimeter scores night in and night out, certainly Kyle Korver is not going to fix that. So what is shooting help? Yeah, shooting would help. But I don't think that's the team's primary need right now, to be honest. And it's so low value, it still has a cap it for next season, so you're not completely shedding Mark Hill-Fultz's $9 million contract anyway. And to me, I would just go into the next offseason, see if he can make any progress between now and July. And then in July, you can see whether or not you want to try to dump his salary to use that on another another free agent sign. It's just, to me, the value is so low that this would have to be an actual untenable situation. And I think there are enough people in that locker room who like Markel and respect Markel that we're not at that stage yet. I would, I would, and look, I'm, you can talk me into still wanting $30 million in cap space for next summer. Like I'm not, just because the Sixers struck out last summer doesn't mean I don't value cap space this summer. I I very much do. But I'm just not at the stage where I'm going to give him away for nothing. And right now I think we're pretty close to that nothing mark.
1: Yeah, I think we're very close, um, and, and I, I think you know you brought up a little bit, but I think the best thing to do right now is to let him have his time away from the team for a little bit. I mean, probably not for the entire season, but you know, you you just kind of need this distraction to fade away a little bit, and you need obviously for him to get better. And maybe if you you know you take him out of the spotlight a little bit, uh, you introduce some some mystery and some intrigue that teams might get curious about him again, and maybe his value just goes up from that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I, I felt like this ever since that that infamous free throw in Miami, that, that it was kind of leaning towards if it kept regressing, it was going to be back where he was last year where he's sort of away from the team. You know, we see him shoot in front of the media a little bit, but it's all just one big mystery as to when he's going to play again. I, I sort of feel like that's where we're heading.
0: Yeah yeah and like I said, just to kind of wrap up the Markel trade stuff because I don't really want to entertain the topic of trading him too much because I think what the Sixers would get back is so minuscule that it's not worth it um we'll see if 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 you know if if Markel becomes a problem, and I don't know if he's a personality type to do that, but if he does, we can change change our stance on that, but right now, I think the um respect between all parties is still strong enough, maybe not between the team and 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 the agent like I said. Raymond Brothers pulling this thing where last year, you know, he he comes out with a forceful he can't even lift his arms over his shoulders when the team very it kind of blindsided the team and like blindsiding the team again this year with taking him out of practices and games. I could see there being a fracture in a the relationship there, but in the people that matter in in the player, the team, the coaches, I don't think it is. So I wouldn't in, unless that becomes untenable, and I don't think it is. I wouldn't. We'll see. I mean, we'll, 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 we'll see. It's, um, we will, we will see how this develops. Tomorrow should be very interesting, which makes perfect sense that we're recording a a, a podcast (laughs) now. Um, all right. On to the other aspect of that report. You know, it is the chicken or the egg here is always going to be debated. And, oh, I guess, I guess one other thing I'll mention about the, 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 trade aspect of that report you know raymond brothers came out with a very carefully crafted message that he did not request a trade for markel which again if you go back and read our report it didn't actually deny anything that we reported um and then brett brown came out and denied the report and one thing i'll say when you write a report of that nature you know there are going to be people who will you you know there will be denials these are public people working in a public industry and there is a PR aspect to everyone involved in this, from player to team to coach to agent to trainer to everyone. Literally everyone has a PR aspect to what they do. Um, everyone, to some degree, has to c- concern themselves with that. There's also relationships to manage. Public statements matter. Uh, we knew that there would be denials. Does People have constantly asked me, do you still stand by your report? Yes, I do. That was well-sourced enough. Otherwise, we wouldn't have put it in there. Otherwise, a whole bunch of reputable reporters wouldn't have attached their names to it. Yes, we expected denials. Yes, I still stand by the report. All right, moving on to the injury aspect to it. You know, one of the things that was pretty consistent in talking, in, in doing the research leading up to this, is that Markell sometimes has discomfort in his wrist as well as in his shoulder that has led to struggles gripping the ball. And I think probably more than anything, a lack of confidence in his ability to grip the ball. And there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, some days, from what we were told, it would feel fine. Some days it would be a bigger problem. And I think Markell's camp, you know, it's not like he went to one shoulder specialist last fall and that was it. He's been going and seeing other specialists since. I think right now, more than anything they're looking for answers. And I think this is something where, you know, I think we and I probably spent a long time looking for one cause. What's the one cause Markel Fultz couldn't shoot? Was it a chain shot? Was it a shoulder soreness? Was it now a wrist injury? Is it the the quote-unquote yips, a term I hate using, but is it confidence? And I think I'm at the point where I'm no longer looking for one cause and trying to see how all of these factors might play off of each other. And it's whatever is going on, whether it's mental, whether it's wrist, whether it's shoulder, whether it's combination. I just don't think that Markell has ever felt fully confident in his shooting mechanics. And for whatever reason, that's gone back now over the past couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. Um, The the whole thing, the the one thing that really confuses me is just the timeline of all of it. I mean, I, I just don't understand why. Why Markel came out uh, with the, like the Players' Tribune video right before training camp and said, you know, I, I, I've got a chance to talk to all these doctors and I'm 100% healthy and I'm all good. I mean, obviously that can change and, and an injury can come back. And especially if it's of the psychosomatic nature, like those things can just sort of pop up. Um, but the, the whole, I, I, it's just like, even if it is that, even if it is the psychosomatic thing, like why wouldn't Markell want? that sort of information out there. Um, why would he be sort of ducking one way or the other that it's, it's this or it's that it's scapular issue, all this stuff. Like we're not going to be able to fully understand this in in terms of like the public until Markel actually gives one answer and sticks to it. Um, and that hasn't been the case. Uh, so like you said, like we're all still left wondering what this is, whether it's multiple things, um, and uh, and as always, we are left with absolutely no idea as to what it will turn into moving forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really is. Like I said, there is no doubt a mental, a confidence component to what he's going through. I do believe at some point there was something physical as well. I don't know how much, you know, if you ask me right now, is it 90% mental, 10% physical? Is it 50 50 I I just don't know. And I think, like I said, I think right now Markel and his team are probably just searching for answers on something that has frustrated them for a long time. But Um, I do
1: think that one thing this report has shed light on is for the first time in a while is that we're very, very confident that it is at least 1% physical, right? Like we – I think that the general public has been under the assumption for a long time that it's close to 100% mental if not 100% mental and this information is basically saying that at, at one time or another, there has been physical ailments to out faults
0: Correct. 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 And like I said, how much is physical right now? That's hard to say. And I think a lot of people that we talked to, not a lot of people, but there was some differing levels of how much is currently physical and how much is sort of a a, a you know, a how the physical injury and how the struggles last year have impacted his confidence. And I think there's probably a lot of different things impacting his confidence right now. And I think physical comfort or discomfort and the lack of sensation we reported plays a factor into that. But I'm certainly not going to say that there is no mental or confidence component involved in there as well. It is, I mean, it's still to me, a baffling situation for a player who quite frankly, I, I I've said this a bunch outside of shooting the basketball. I thought he was really starting to play better. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a shame. it, like, it really is a shame. And I think some people, you know, will think that we're hard on Markel for having reported what we reported, but I really do think that he is putting in the work. I think he's trying hard. I think he's playing hard. I think it was getting better at every other facet of the game. I think this is probably eating him up inside. The fact that he can't do the one thing that he really loves to do in this world. Like, I think this is extremely tough for him to go through. And we can talk about the calculus of how much is physical, how much is mental, all we want. At the end of the day, I do feel bad for him. Like, I think it, it, it is whatever he is, is fighting, whatever demons he's fighting is really taking away i think the love of the one thing that he truly wants in this world and i think he does want to be a great basketball player and i hope he gets it back i don't know if it's going to be here you know even if he does get it back here i think his fit with simmons and 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 butler long term isn't great so maybe he he does need a fresh start and he can get that confidence back and he can get that jumper back maybe if there is some kind of damage that hasn't been detected yet that he can get that rectified or get that addressed and figure out a way to, if not fix that, then at least mitigate against that. I, I, I hope whatever he needs, he gets it. Um, because this is a, I mean, it, it's gotta be brutal for the kid. I do. It, 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 I have no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, uh, and, and clearly this is something that, you know, affects him and his family and, and everyone around him to such a deep level. And, you know, you, you just feel for them for sure. and, Um, I don't, I honestly don't blame him at all. If he were to feel that way to want a fresh start. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that, um, that that it's reasonable to think he's not in this team's long-term plans. I mean, if you just look at the past six weeks, he went from starting, uh, to barely playing at all with Simmons to now coming off the bench to losing his minutes. And it's like, you can just kind of see the writing on the wall ever since the Butler trade, it was pretty clear that it would be tough for him to really be in this team's long-term plans. So, it's understandable. It makes sense. And uh, and selfishly, selfishly, I would love to see the basketball player that Marco Fultz was at Washington. He was so fun to watch. I, w- I would love yep. to s- love to see him have a long and successful career. Um,
0: People I-, I was on the radio very recently and asked me, like, was he a great shooter in college? And it's like, well, he never had picture perfect for him. Like you were never going to look at him and say, that's how you should shoot a basketball. You know, here, kid, go go imitate that. But what he did is he made tough shots and he had the confidence to take any shot on the court. And I think the radio host kind of thought I was crazy because you don't see that player right now. There's there's that confident basketball player just isn't there. I would love to see that basketball player come back because like you said he was it was great to watch. I think he can operate in an NBA system. Like I think NBA spacing and the way the game is played would have helped him. And for his sake, I hope he gets back there too. So, Alright, moving on from Fultz to the rest of the team, but before we do that, a word from DraftKings. We've all had that one atrocious fantasy draft that ruins their entire season. You've been there, I've been there, everybody has been there. If you're a responsible fantasy player, you might pop in once a week and set your lineup just for the integrity of the team, just for everybody that you're playing against, but you've all but lost interest because your high draft pick got hurt or your rookie you bet on turned out to be a dud. It doesn't have to be that way, and playing one-day fantasy basketball at DraftKings is the best way to put your knowledge of basketball to the test. DraftKings is giving away over $400 million in prizes this season. That's a lot of money. No matter what your skill level is, there's a contest waiting for you at DraftKings. Drafting your team is simple. Just select eight players and stay under the $50,000 salary cap. The best part is you get to draft a new team every day without any long-term commitment. There's no better way to put your love of basketball into cash. To download the app, head on over to DraftKings.com now and use our code Sixers to support the show and enter a free contest with your first deposit. And remember, there will be $400 million in total prizes up for grabs throughout the season. That's code Sixers to play for free with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right. Do we want to talk about every other piece of this team that's not playing well? <laughs> it's a weird team. I think they're, what, 4-2 and two in the Jimmy Butler era Boy, is it it, five and two?
1: I think I could be wrong. Boy, does
0: it not feel like a confident five and two? No, they are heading into today's game against Brooklyn. They had a negative point differential, despite their you know 13 and seven record or 13 and eight record. 13 and eight, yeah, now they're 14 and eight. Negative point differential heading into tonight. Um, really getting lit up by perimeter players, and we're not just talking about Kemba Walker. And, you know, the 60 that he dropped. We're not just talking about, you know, um, D'Angelo Russell tonight and the 30, 38? What do he end at?
1: 35 the or 38. Whole,
0: or the whole bunch that he dropped. We're talking about pretty much everyone the Sixers are going up against. I mean, it, it's it's really become concerning that average perimeter players just look like they can get any shot that they want. Anyone that can maintain a live dribble right now feels like they're going off against the Sixers. So Mike, what's going on and what do you do?
1: I think the root of the problem is pretty simple. Like there just aren't enough players in this team who can defend guards that can play off of a live dribble. I mean, you, the starting lineup has two of them, Redick and Embiid, who you can just easily target on switches and, and they're just not going to offer any resistance really at all against a good three-level scorer. Um, and then off the bench, like, I mean, it's it's Landry Shamit and Cork Maz and Mike Moscow. I mean, all three of them are guys you could easily see targeted. It, it's it's funny, like at the Nets game, um, at one of the last possessions of the game where the Nets had the ball. And Redick was in the game, and I, I thought to myself, like, why didn't Brett take Redick out? Like, why didn't he go offense defense here? And, and I thought, like, who would he put in? Like, there's no one, there's no one on the bench that you can put in for, for offense defense. That's insane. I don't think you can say that about any other team in the league. um they, no, cl- they
0: really—they have three people who can defend their man, mm-hmm. and they're—they're they're all in the front court. They're all over six foot eight, and they all start. And that's it. You have, like you said, you have nobody. You know, TJ tries hard he hustles he knows what he's doing but he's still you know six foot and not the quickest guy in the world Amir I think has taken a pretty significant step back defensively this year and he was never so much a man-to-man defender as he was you know a positional defender Shamit um I think he started off the season okay defensively I think he's probably been you know he struggled a little bit in the last few games Mike Muscala he's been real bad defensively, and I think part of that's he's playing out of position too much, but he hasn't been good defensively. Even Wilson Chandler at this point, I think his age is starting to catch up to him, and right now he doesn't necessarily it seems like the schemes, the rotations aren't quite as crisp as you would want, so hopefully he will get better, but he doesn't look like he is at the top of his defensive game either. There is, like you said, nobody that you can really go to outside of those top three who can realistically defend their man, and that's that's tough to overcome.
1: Yeah, and two guys specifically Chandler and and muscala um they have been worse than I thought defensively uh coming in I, I think Chandler you could say maybe he's just getting back into shape after the hamstring injury he looks very thick like thicker than I remember um I'm, I'm almost more comfortable like I'll put it this way if, if they're playing the Celtics I'm I think I'm more comfortable with him switching on to horford than Kyrie by like a good deal like I'm, I'm way more oh, comfortable sure. with him yep. on horford um Muscala has been very concerning to me because I, I think he's I think he's just stuck between positions between the four and the five and he's never going to defend the rim well enough to play the five. I mean he was terrible defending pick and roll tonight, um, and he can't switch down to guard anybody. So it's it's just it's almost the same thing with Dario. Like you know you coined the phrase 0.5 five position defender." Um, like there, there's nowhere to put him. There's nowhere to put him.
0: No, and I, I mean all the talk in preseason and training camp about oh, we think we think Muscala can play the the four I don't I mean he, he 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 does not move his feet well enough to play the four in the schemes they're playing him in like you said he doesn't offer anything really at the rim so you don't entirely know what to do with him on on that side of the court but I think if I'm going to put him out there it's not like Amir right now is defending well at the five either and at least you can get some five out floor spacing which the Sixers desperately need I would I would lean towards playing him almost exclusively at the five but then it's like well the Sixers don't exactly have the most depth in the world where you can slide Simmons full-time to the four defensively so it I, I don't entirely know what the answer to that is it's a shame this is one of the areas where Markel Fultz would really be useful like having him at the point of attack and again he's still a 20 a year old he was getting better defensively but he's still you know he's gonna get Beaten by some of the veterans in the league. He's going to miss some rotations. He's going to struggle fighting through some screens, but he at least has physical tools to defend his man. And Zaire Smith, again, you don't want to put too much, you don't want to say Zaire Smith and Markel Fultz are what you need to be an elite defensive team, but they at least have the physical tools. So it'd be great if they can ever develop and get to where they hope they can be, because right now the Sixers just don't have anyone on the perimeter. Who can fight through that screen, who can move their feet well enough to stop penetration. Nobody right now can guard their man, and it's it's certainly concerning.
1: Yeah, and, and and by the way, the same thing shows up a little bit on offense. And I think it's been hidden a little bit by Butler, but you do have to worry that they lack guys who um guys who can operate off of a live dribble. Like the Nets have three of those guys, um, Dinwiddie, Russell. Uh, and I guess, I guess I'm thinking of Karis Lavert, but at least two of them that played tonight and the Sixers really only have one in the half court in Butler. And you think about the type of players that the Sixers are bringing in. I mean, obviously Shaman has been great and, you know, we don't know what we'll see from Zaire Smith, but they're, they're not that type of player. And if that's where the league is headed and it it seems like it is, and, and those are the type of players you need to win. Um, I think you worry about it on offense as well.
0: And by the way, Kyle Corver, also not that type of player. Also
1: not that, and I don't think he will become that type of player when he turns 40.
0: I'm guessing the 37-year-old Kyle Corver is not adding elite perimeter foot speed to his game. I would agree with that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a bigger concern on defense, but it's just, like I said, something something to consider on offense that they, they really lack that type of player.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, it, it is – so I guess in terms of their scheme – you know I think JJ Redick has really been targeted lately. How do you in terms of what they switch, what they fight through, what they go under? How do you think they're doing and what would you change up?
1: I think the only thing you really can do is blitz a little bit more often, but you don't you don't want to be like you don't want to be the Cavs from the past 4 years and just blitz everything because you'll just get torched. Um but you 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 have to mix in a little bit more of it, especially when you know, the guy you're risking guarding the ball is Reddick because the, the past two games, it's been Rodney Hood, Colin Sexton, Andrew Harrison, D'Angelo Russell, and Spencer Dinwiddie have just given him buckets relentlessly. Not <laughs> so,
0: Drew Holiday with 30. Yep. Etuan Moore with 30. Spencer Dinwiddie, 31. D'Angelo Russell, 38. Rodney Hood, 25. And Colin Sexton, 23
1: not a not a good list not a good list
0: <laughs> no this isn't kemba walker dropping 60 here this is right this is if if you're getting beat by you know rodney hood and colin sexton whew, uh, i mean you're 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 struggling you're struggling
1: yeah and and you know like i said i, I don't think there's too much you can do like you just kind of have to hope that Reddick can tread water like y- you mix in a couple of blitzes you you maybe have him hedge more more often um At a certain point, you know, especially in the playoffs, late in games, you sort of have to just oblige and switch. And in those situations, like you sort of have to hope that he treads water. Maybe one thing you do is like if you're playing the Celtics and Aaron Baines or Marcus Smart is on the floor, you just have his defender like stand at the nail um, and, and, and offer help. But man, it's it's concerning for sure.
0: What would you say about Joel's pick-and-roll defense? Tonight? Can, can he do more as a helper?
1: Yes, absolutely. I And I said this to you at one point last year. We were talking about it, I think, like before one game. Like, Joel just has more on defense that he's he's not giving. Like, when, when he was a rookie, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon every single play. And he was defending in space two-on-one pick and pick-and-rolls, like, better than anyone I had ever seen. And he has definitely taken a step back. And... You know, obviously a lot of that comes with the fact that he's what, like 10th in the league in minutes and th- the load he's carrying on offense, like it would be impossible to ask him to do that. But at the same time, maybe you want to decrease his minutes. And so his activity goes up on defense like tonight was really bad. And what what did he play like 36 minutes? Um, there were times where like he's he's backpedaling. His hands aren't even up. He's just really just hoping not to give up an alley oop. Um, and like D'Angelo Russell scoops a layup by him. Um, it, it has definitely taken a step back. Granted, I, I'm, I'm not trying to overreact to one night. I think he's been very good overall, but I, I, I worry about it. I mean, that's the, the, league is, is kind of at a place where the, every team's lead ball handler is so dynamic that even the best big men defending in space are having trouble. Like I'm sure you've seen the jazz with Gobert on the floor struggling, so it's tough. I, I I think Joel can do more, but I also think it's, it's an issue for sure.
0: Yeah. And I mean, look, he's, he's at the point the season where he's almost quite literally putting up Kim Olajuwon numbers. I mean, if you go compare them right now, it's, it's silly how close some of those numbers are. So you give him some slack that he doesn't have quite the same energy that he had on the defensive side of the court as a rookie, when he was playing 25 minutes a night and, and missing every other game. And, you know, I think I went back and looked at it and through this point of the season, I think he'd played like 13 out of his first 20 games. And it's not like he was nursing an injury. That was just how cautious they were with him. And now he's playing game in, game out every night, 35 plus minutes per game. Uh, I think I think he was actually second in the league in minutes heading into the night's game. And first in the league in games played total minutes, not minutes per game. He is playing a ton. He has an insane workload offensively. He's still an elite defensive player but there are times where he looks like he takes pick and rolls off and where he drops back. And not only is he dropped back and not contesting the shot, but he's also not really ready to defend against the driver either. Like he's flat footed more than he was at other times. And it just seems like he could, he could be closer to the shooter and still be able to recover back if need be. it, it just, it, it, I don't know how you do that. Like you said, it would be great if they had a legit backup center, who could really limit his minutes where they weren't getting run off the court every time he sits down. And maybe he could be a little more fresh. It would be great to get him a night off. And he thought maybe with the Nets, this could be a night. Brett talked in no specific terms about hopefully getting him some rest time at some point. But I'm not sure how agreeable Joel is going to be to that. Like I think right now he's at the point where he believes he should play every night if he's healthy. So... Could he be tired? Yeah. And I think by and large, we haven't seen as many overt signs of being winded as we have in previous years. And maybe part of that is, you know, I'm sure a big part of that is improved conditioning and having a summer to work on it. I think a huge part of that is. But part of that, it could also be that he's picking his spots maybe a little bit better. And this is a trade-off of that. Part of that's probably because we don't have all that many, you know, perimeter defenders who are real good at fighting through screens. That's and huge, I think yeah. that's one thing you lost in Covington. He would get through those screens. And Jimmy Butler I think is good at that too. Um, I think maybe Butler tries to dissuade switches maybe more than he should. Like He seems like he wants to stick on his man as much as he can. And I think that's given up some open shots because of that. But it is, it is like you said, this is a league-wide problem that teams are looking to solve. And the Sixers right now just don't have an optimal solution for it.
1: They don't. And... Yeah, you brought up the backup center. That was a, that's a great point. Like it would really help things to have um god, even like Dwayne Deadman, anyone, just to come in and um be able to be disruptive on defense and defend pick and rolls well because right now when Amir plays, they, they bleed points on defense and he doesn't add any sort of dynamic on offense. Like he's not a rim roller. He's not gonna get you a bucket on the low block, like.
0: Hey, he had like four really good dunks to start the season, like. True. Like real good dives to the rim, putbacks, and I'm saying that kidding, but it just came out of nowhere. I was like, holy shit, that's Amir Johnson.
1: Yeah. Um. What's it called? Yeah. But he, hey, he has also hit like five three pointers this year. So, so kudos for that. Um,
0: that is, I think that's still more than Simmons, TJ, and Fultz combined.
1: Yeah. I was, th- I was thinking about that the other day. How weird is it on this basketball team that there are three point guards and all three of them have to stand in the dunker spot when they're off the ball?
0: I know. Like, they're,
1: they're – <laughs> And
0: TJ in the dunker spot is just freaking hysterical. It's ridiculous. Like, talk about a waste of space.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah I, at least stand in the corner. I, like, he'll he'll shoot it when he has time to check the wind. Like, at least take a chance that he'll have that much time. Um but anyway, yeah, we're we're talking. You can
0: throw out second spectrum and use sundials for TJ's shots.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um But yeah, backup centers. I mean, even like I, I I wrote about it a little bit when they traded for Muscala, but I I just like Ursan is a better defender than Muscala. Like he just I don't even know why they're, they're like the same size, but I feel like Ursan is so much bigger and protects the rim so so much better. I I don't know why. Maybe it's just it just intelligence I really don't I really don't know but um yeah they they definitely need that that backup center um it's definitely becoming a problem
0: All right one quick word from our final sponsor Robinhood Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks options cryptocurrencies and ETFs and all commission free Robinhood strives to make financial services for everyone, a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time and with true confidence, with a simple, intuitive, and clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest manner. Having used a number of different trading platforms in the past, the part that blew me away with Robinhood was the design of their app. Data can be overwhelming, and data presentation is key to making informed decisions, and Robinhood does this better than any app I've previously tried. Robinhood's web platform also lets you view stock collections, so you can zoom in on the most popular stocks or search in sectors like entertainment, social media, or the like. With Robinhood, you learn by doing, as you can discover new stocks and track favorite companies with your personalized news feed, and create custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Best of all, while other brokerages can charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees at all. Trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at sixers.robinhood.com. That's sixers.robinhood.com. All right. Final segment. Um, Jimmy Butler, his play, his fit. What are your thoughts?
1: They need to get him the ball more. I'm I'm really just amazed at how long it's taking them to figure out a way to incorporate his pick and rolls. Like, the one that really stood out—I I thought they would start turning a corner last week—but um, the Phoenix game last Monday, it really stood out. I think he only took like twelve shots or something, and I could count on one hand the number of pick and rolls they ran against a front court of DeAndre Ayton
0: and Rashawn Holmes. And I'm like, yeah, you put that dude in space, and you can you you can make stuff happen. Yeah, for sure. yeah, and either one of those dudes. Yeah, and you
1: just look at how often Jimmy is stuck in the corner, and, you know, every time, every time Ben Simmons posts up, granted it's been better lately, Um, especially at the end of games, though, I'm like, when I see him post up at the end of games, I'm like, we've seen this movie a thousand times, and you have one of the 12 best scorers in the league standing in the corner, like, I, I'm, I'm just sort of bewildered, I, I was, I was amazed by it on, on even the first night, like, why is Jimmy not, Getting more opportunities to handle the ball, um, yeah. I, I think if you look at his stats right now, he's taking the the lowest uh, field goal attempts since I think five years ago. Um, I know it takes time. I, I, I'm not trying to just berate Brett Brown here, but uh, you know, I, I know it's difficult to adjust your your style, your scheme, your playbook, and everything. But I really thought it would be coming along quicker.
0: Yeah, and tonight tonight against the Nets was better, especially in the second half. He shot 11 for 20 for his 34 points. Um, 5 for 6 from 3, which was nice to see. Before that, he was averaging just 12.6 field goal attempts per game. And like you said, you know, I think one of the interesting things I just ran across: he has spent almost every minute he's been in the six-year uniform on the court with Ben Simmons. And I think part of that, you know, I think they want to stagger, you know, Simmons and Butler and Reddick and Embiid as much as they can. And I think Embiid and Reddick work so well together that they've prioritized keeping them together. And that has sort of led to Butler and, and, and Simmons being on the court, like I said, almost the entire time together. And I'm not sure that's the most natural fit. And I think Butler might be served well, you know, alongside of Embiid more minutes. If you're going to try to split those, your your dynamic players up, move... Switch that a little bit more. You know, I'd like to see a little more Embiid-Butler pick-and-rolls. I'd even like to see a little bit more with Embiid or with Butler and Reddick and have Redick be the screener and see what you can do out of those sets. It does seem like, you know, and, and I think Brett takes some criticism because he's not a big pick-and-roll guy as a, you know, a point of preference. But I do think he's going to get more of them in. But it has happened a little bit slower than I would have expected.
1: Yeah, for sure. And by the way, that, that also could tie back to the whole backup center conversation of, you know, when, when you have Embiid and Reddick go to the bench and it's uh, Simmons and Butler having like a rim rolling center coming off the bench would really help Jimmy. Um, right. And, you know, I, I agree. I would like to see more uh, Butler and Embiid pick and rolls. Um, and I, I I guess I'm, I'm not sure if how much of it is Brett Brown's resistance like stylistically versus how much is just him wanting to, you know, take time to incorporate Jimmy and have him work within the flow of the offense. I, I really don't know, you know, wh- where to tr- attribute what uh, percent of his mindset, but it's definitely something they need to work on because you have, like I said, one of the 12 best scorers in the game um, is spending way too much time in the corners.
0: Yep. No, I agree with you there. Um, and like I said, we're we're still really short in the Jimmy Butler's tenure. They've had almost no um and, and as a matter of fact, I'm not sure if they've had a practice. No, they've had one practice, I believe, since the Jimmy Butler trade. Like they have almost no every 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 time they have a day off, there's games sandwiched on the other ends of it. And you know, maybe they just need some more practices to really get that offense up to speed. If this is a conversation we're having in February, then I would be much more concerned. But it seems like right now when Jimmy Butler has a great game, it's because he just goes, you know, he goes 10 for 12 from the floor. Uh, And that doesn't seem entirely sustainable, but yeah, he has looked good. He has looked good. It is just nice to have somebody who can, you know, you can do a dribble handoff with Embiid and he'll actually do something with it. Uh, They had one person you could say that with in Redick, Maybe a half a person in Shamit, but now they have another, and having another player who you really have to account for, it is. Uh, it, I mean, it should help them. And and to be honest, right now their biggest problems aren't on the offensive side of the court anyway. They are, are defensively. Um, but they are, well, I I don't want to say that because I'm pretty sure their offensive, ra- rating is below their defensive rating. But over the last couple games, at least, their issue has been on the defensive side of the court. Um, so they 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 have work to do on both ends for sure.
1: Yeah, and by the way, like you said, Jimmy in a nutshell has been very good. Um, I think one thing that's stood out is I think he's shooting like f- close to forty five percent from three or something in his whatever six seven games. Um, uh, that that's that's been great. Um, every time every time he has attacked a closeout and gone up for a tough finish at the rim you feel confident it's going in. And that's like the first Sixers player you can say that about since like Drew Holiday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the two things that, that really stand out are just you want to see him get more pick and rolls and you want to see him operate a little bit more in the mid post where he's really, really good. But what he has done has been definitely encouraging.
0: What did you think about the uh, ISO at the end of the game today?
1: Uh, I I love it. I love it. Like Brett Brown said it best. Like uh, somebody somebody asked him like, uh, was there any second option to that play? And he said the second option was to go home with a loss. Um, <laughs> um, I like it. I respect it. Give, give the ball to your best scorer and just let him do his thing.
0: Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think I would have liked to see him go a little bit earlier. Um, you know, sh- making I think he made it with like 0. 0.4 seconds left you know maybe give yourself time for an offensive rebounder. Yeah, that's sure. You know, a kick out if they overplay the 3. Um he that was to me a shot that's okay when the game is tied and if you miss it you're going to overtime. Uh, I you know, I think Brett for the most part you know, I think he probably gave a lot of freedom to Butler on that one. And I think Brett right there is trying to fight the urge he has to really run a a play like he has over the last few years. Uh, I hope they find a little bit of a medium ground, but he made the shot results oriented. So it was a great play. And the Sixers walked out of there with a win. They had no business deserving. So that's good.
1: They had no business deserving, but I did think they were a lot better in the second half. Like that, that may have been the,
0: I mean, shit, they couldn't have been worse.
1: Yeah. 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 But I think that was maybe their best defensive half of the season. Like they were just energized. Um, Simmons and Butler were flying around making hustle plays um, and
0: some of those, like, D'Angelo Russell made some—as well, much as we killed their defense, D'Angelo Russell did make some pretty freaking absurd shots.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He had a couple step-backs in the pick-and-roll, and, like, I think there were two or three different times where he and Dinwiddie uh, threw the ball up because they thought they were getting a foul call, and it went in anyway, even though they didn't get the call. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And then— and. Embiid got away with a, a couple of steps there at the end too which <laughs> he did you know, he did yeah it happens the, tomorrow's last two minute report will be uh, will be interesting though for sure all right that's probably a good place to end it thank you for jumping on and we'll talk to you soon
1: no problem sounds good it ain't
0: hard to tell I excel then the mic is contacted I attract clientele my mic check is like for death breathing the sniper's breath I Tell the yellow smoke a Buddha through righteous steps.